Hello and a warm welcome to you. My name is Rupert Charkham. I'm the vicar of St Michael's Church in Chester Square. What I'm going to do is to share with you uh, a talk, as they would have said in Blue Peter, here's one I prepared earlier. One of my favourite talks from my sermon collection. Favourite because it's about a favourite person. I wonder if you can guess who he is when I tell you uh, that he's, he's known by his nickname. His nickname means Mr. Encouragement. Have you got it yet? Well, you might well have. It's Barnabas. Do you know anyone who's really encouraged you in life? I think we all know the power of encouragement and the importance of encouragement. After all, it's not rare, is it, that we hear some sports star say after they've won some great championship or trophy, I want to thank my mother or my cousin or my aunt or my coach or the team or my friends or, uh, and the longer the list the better, for all their encouragement which has made the world a difference to me. And if it's true in sport and if it's true at work, it's even more true when it comes to following Jesus Christ because we know, don't we, that our path in following Jesus is contested every step of the way by what scripture calls our adversary, the devil. Well, let's step into the world of the New Testament and I'm going to lead us through seven of the times that Barnabas is mentioned. And from each of these, we're going to discover that an aspect of encouragement comes along with the territory. When you get hold of a concordance, that's one of those books that gives you the, every time a name is mentioned, you can find that every time Barnabas is mentioned in the New Testament, he is doing or saying something encouraging. So I want to encourage us right at the beginning by saying each of us can graft into our lives each one of these steps. It is within our grasp to become an encourager. It's not like if I said to you, you know, I'm going to give seven points about how to be an astronaut, because we'd know, if it was me listening, I'd switch off very quickly, because I know there's no chance that I'm going to become an astronaut. So frankly, after the first point, I lose interest. But when I talk to you about how we can become an encourager, I can tell you from step one, if you choose to, you can graft these things into your life. And if you do that, you will light the world up and any company that you're found in. So let's get cracking. And the very first way that Barnabas is an encouragement is by his wholehearted commitment and outrageous generosity. If you have a Bible with you, you could look up Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. And it says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what he did there was irrepressibly encouraging. Why? Because don't you notice he was literally sold out for the Lord? 
And we'll come back to this again and again, but there is absolutely nothing half-baked about this man. Some people uh, you meet in life are occasionally on fire for Christ, after a conference, say, but occasionally they're distant. So when you meet them, you've really no idea what you're going to run into. But others, like Barnabas, are consistently up for it, you might say. It isn't going to be easy to encourage someone else in their spiritual life if you yourself are lacklustre. That's never going to work, is it? But here is Barnabas, and he's awesome in his commitment and generosity. And I've noticed, and I'm sure you have too, that awesome generosity is enormously encouraging, isn't it? It has the ring of God about it. Let me tell you a couple of stories. They're true stories. In the mid-1980s, I was fortunate enough to join uh, a vicar called John Irvin as he planted a church in Addison Road. It was called St Barnabas Church. And a group of 100 young people, nearly all of them aged between 20 and 30, joined an existing congregation of about a dozen. And that existing congregation really understandably apprehensive about the invasion that was about to happen from people at least 50 years younger than they were. Now, this collection of survivors had been worshipping in St Barnabas Church morning and summer with their overcoats on, sitting up in the chancel, huddled together. And they'd been praying for quite a long time that something would happen that would bring their church alive. They never dreamt in a thousand years that the answer to their prayers would come in the shape of a group of young people arriving. And it has to be said, there was a certain amount of, if not suspicion, apprehension as to what the future would hold. Now, as I've mentioned, that church was profoundly cold physically, morning and summer. And a huge turning point that none of us could have foreseen, I think, came with a gift day in November. And the gift day was to try and finance a new heating system. And I can't remember the exact amount of money that was required, but it was really quite a significant amount to try and install what looked like an enormous hairdryer that would blow warm air from the very back of this large cavernous church so powerfully and effectively that it would change the whole temperature. Well, what happened, and I wouldn't be telling a story if the gift had been a failure, would I? But what happened was all of us were blown away when this significant sum uh, was given in one day of giving. And do you know what? It wasn't just the church that was warmed up. Our hearts were warmed up because we realised together we were thoroughly committed to seeing God bring his purpose in. Awesome generosity. I think also actually of attending a memorial service of a friend who had died in his 80s and um, after those kind of services you mill around or at least you used to before Covid restrictions and have what can sometimes be a sticky conversation. The obvious thing to talk about is what do you remember about so-and-so or so-and-so? And as I milled around and asked people I'd never met before, what do you remember about Jeff? Very quietly, many of them told me a, a very similar story. They said, well, actually what I'm most grateful for Jeff for is no one else knows this, but when my life was difficult, when I got made unemployed, when I couldn't pay my bills, etc., 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 it was Jeff who 
quietly sent me a check and kept me afloat. And it's amazing to think that quite a number of people at that memorial service had this secret about Jeff. I don't think they knew that he'd been generous to anyone else. And it has to be said, he wasn't himself a very wealthy man, not a bit. But he was extraordinarily generous. And I'm quite sure that they were encouraged by that. Now, do you think the apostles, when Barnabas came and approached them and gave them the field, said to themselves, oh no, not another field? Well, of course they didn't. Of course they didn't, and nor does any church ever feel that when members of the church are outrageously generous, as Jesus calls us to be. Far from it, it releases us to go forward in ministry and building God's kingdom. So if you've been exceptionally generous, outrageously generous to St Michael's Church, I want to say thank you. I hope that you understand that God's kingdom advances on the back of your generosity, and without it, it wouldn't advance. So that's the very first step. I have to say, if I was giving this talk in, in order of ease of accomplishment, I would probably have finessed that point till the last. But as it comes first in scripture, it's come first in the talk too. Well, we move on. Here's a second thing about Barnabas that is incredibly encouraging. He was immensely loyal. If Barnabas was your friend, he was your friend for life. Of course, we know it's not difficult to be friends of people who are rising stars or who are twinkling with a bright light in the firmament. But it takes character and commitment to stand by people when they're considered suspect or in difficulty. And do you remember that when Saul, who we know better as Paul in the New Testament, was first converted, he ran into huge difficulty which isn't surprising because he was a murderer. He was intent upon ethnic cleansing. Acts 9:26. when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. Hmm, that's a tricky spot to be in. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now I wonder if you've ever had an opportunity to do this, to stake your reputation to support an underdog. I, I, I heard a lovely story quite some years ago now, from a friend of mine who at the time had acted as a chaplain to Harrods just down the road. And uh, he'd come across a member of staff who'd been a member of staff at Harris for many, 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 many years. And this man looked absolutely crestfallen. And he told my friend, you know, something inexplicable happened this morning. I was coming into work on the tube and the ticket inspector came and I, I showed him my annual pass. And uh, it was one day overdue and I completely neglected to see it. And uh, I'm been sent a summons and I've got to appear I, I suppose it was a magistrate's court, and um, I don't know what to do. My friend who was the acting chaplain said, um, well, look, I'll tell you what, I used to be a barrister and I will come and support you. 
in court. But let me know, is there anyone, anyone that you can think of who's also on the staff of Harrods who can vouch for your character? And, and obviously the most senior, the better. And this man said that, well, yes, it just happens that when I joined, Mr. X joined too, and uh, he's now on the board of directors. So the day came and they went off to this court and blow me down if the London transport person didn't show up. So uh, the magistrate said, well, we'll defer this hearing till a, a later date. And my friend, the barrister, stood up and said, well, could I ask actually that you don't do that? I would like to ask you to actually dismiss the case because one of my uh, supporting witnesses is here today at great personal cost to himself. And if you defer this case, um, he'll have not only wasted a day, but it's very unlikely he'd come to the next, next occasion. And the magistrate said, um, well, what do you call great personal cost yourself? And uh, my barrister friend said, well, today he was meant to be at the men's semi-finals at Wimbledon, but he's here instead because he gave up that ticket. And the magistrate said, that is great personal cost to yourself. And he dismissed the case. Well, aren't you and I grateful that Barnabas went off and found Saul? Because had he not done that, well, who knows whether we'd have had the third of the New Testament that is written by St. Paul, or whether um, Paul would have withered on the vine. Let's move on to the third element of encouragement. Are you encouraged yet? Are you getting a hang of this? I hope so. Here we go. Barnabas could see what was good in people and in situations. I love this little verse. It's tucked in Acts 11, 21 to 24. The Lord's hand was with them, that's the scattered disciples, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, it's that little phrase, he saw the grace of the Lord. It's really not a common gift. People see imperfections easy enough. You know, they're, they're, they're not hesitant, generally, to tell you what you do wrong. But Barnabas' response was quite the opposite. Let me tell you what you're doing right. And this brings out a whole new area of hope when people are like that. To some extent, we perform to the level of expectation. If people are telling us, you'll never do it, you'll never do it, well, it's not surprising if we never do it. But if they tell you, you'll certainly do it, stick at it, and that's what Barnabas was saying. He demanded just one thing, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. A while ago, I was reading a biography of Churchill and there was this little anecdote that in July, 1917, Lloyd George brought Churchill into his cabinet. And the, many people were surprised by this, but there's a diary entry on the 19th of May by uh, Lloyd George's flame, Francis Stevenson. And it read this, he, Lloyd George, says he wants someone who would cheer him up and help and encourage him 
and who will not be continually coming to him with a long face and telling him that everything's going wrong. At present, he says, he has to carry the whole of his colleagues on his back. Well, there we are. We too need encouragement. Let me share with you a little story. Quite some years ago, I led a number of Alpha conferences trying to train pastors in the United States about how to run the Alpha course. It must be about 20 years ago now. And one of the first of those conferences that I held, or at least spoke at, was in downtown Washington, DC. And it, it was really, really tough. And actually, uh, to my eyes, <laughs> it wasn't a great success. Uh, only seven people, I think, came to the conference. And um, most of them were on quote-unquote scholarships. I'm not sure they even saw it through to the end. When we finished this enterprise, um, the two young men who were looking after us in America took us out for a celebratory dinner. Not that in my mind I could see you had much to celebrate. And they hurled praise at us, uh, me and the friend who had come to lead the worship and one other person, I think. And they said, that was terrific. That really was great. I'm so glad we've done that conference. And on and on and on they went. But really, I was finding it very difficult to digest what they had to say. And so I said, oh, come on, you can't really call that a great success. I mean, and then I poured out my typically English downbeat version of what had gone on. And they said, no, Rupert, that was a huge success. Now we know what happens when you try and hold an alpha conference in that particular part of Washington, D.C., it doesn't work. Well, that was a terrific discovery. Hooray. Let's celebrate that. Now, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that that's uh, the pinnacle of encouragement, but it was a lovely way of looking at it. And it meant I didn't leave deflated as we flew on to Texas for an entirely different uh, experience. Well, let's keep going because I want to cover a couple more points at least. Here we are, number four. When Barnabas talked about God, he was realistic. He wasn't all soap. He talked about good times, but he also talked about hard times. And so I think it's important to say encouragement doesn't equal painting an unrealistic, optimistic picture. That's false encouragement, and really uh, there's nothing to it. Realistic Christianity is not easy. It's not all sugar. There are hard times. It does require a long obedience in the same direction. And so a different kind of commitment is needed if we're going to go on being obedient. When the novelty wears off. And that's the kind of encouragement that Barnabas was able to give. In Acts 14, 21, he says, or we read, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Quote, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And that's true. That's true. And we do have to go through many hardships. Uh, Barnabas experiences in his own life. If you read Acts 14, you'll discover in what form hardships came. But also he experienced good times and he spoke about them. He would gather the church together, Acts 14, 27, and he reported all that God had done through them, how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed a long time with the disciples. And in Acts 15, verse 12, 
The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through him. Whatever happened or didn't happen, Barnabas was committed to keeping going, keeping going, keeping going, both in his own life and sharing the gospel with others. Tremendous tenacity. Fifthly, quickly, he was a man of prayer. Acts 14.23, we find that Paul and Barnabas were appointed elders, uh, appointed elders for each church, and they prayed and fasted. Now, it sounds strange, but it is encouraging to meet people who are prayers. A life that is built on more than management modules or the ways of the world. A life that was built on prayer. Are you doing that? You could be. And even though I wouldn't see you at prayer, I don't think it would be hidden for very long that you are a person of prayer, and that would be an enormous encouragement. Sixthly, his bravery. Barnabas was willing to risk his life for God, Acts 15, 25 and 26. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them with you to our dear friends, Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. I've met quite a few people who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. And boys, they're impressive and hugely encouraging. And then seventhly, his kindness. His kindness. You know, in Acts 15, there is a rather standout passage in which we discover that Paul and Barnabas fall out. Well, what did they fall out over? They fell out over what should happen to John Mark. Let, let me read you the little extract, Acts 15, 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he'd deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now then, here's a question for us. Which of them was right, Paul or Barnabas? Well, I'm hedging my bets here, and I'm going to say both of them were right. And I'll tell you why. I think if you have Paul's character, uh, there's no way you could keep walking with John Mark, who needed building up, who needed patience, who needed, in short, in a word, encouragement. But if you had Barnabas's temperament and character, it shines out, doesn't it, again and again. This was what he excelled at. And so both of them were right. I think it would have murdered John Mark and held up Paul had they gone off in that direction. But I think it prospered both Barnabas and John Mark to make a partnership. And thank goodness that we have Barnabas or Barnabai in our congregations, in our friendship groups. Yes, he was a back backwoodsman in the sense that 
It's not high profile, but we're beginning to see, aren't we? He really made a difference. He really made a difference. He was kind. So in conclusion, and it's an important conclusion, I want to ask the question and answer the question, what can make a person like this? What can make you and I like this? Is Barnabas simply too good to be true? Was there one Barnabas all those years ago and there's never been another? No, of course not. That's, that's folly to say that. I'm personally grateful to quite a large number of people who over many, many years have made it their business for reasons best known to them, and it's marvellous to me, to encourage me, encourage me, encourage me. That's true today, as much as it has been all the way through my Christian life. So how, how do we become like this by way of an encourager? Well, God can do it in us. We read in the book of Acts about Barnabas, I read it earlier, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. It's not magic. Of course, it's going to need commitment from us. Of course, we're going to have to work at whichever one of those seven attributes we feel is weakest in our lives. But don't feel you're just doing it in your own strength and by your own strength of will. Ask the Holy Spirit for his help. And I believe he will help. It's a bit like a story I heard some years ago about a young man, or maybe a young woman, who went forward for prayer at the end of a service and asked uh, quite a seasoned uh, follower of Christ, I'd like you to pray for me that tomorrow and for the weeks ahead, I would get out of bed at six o'clock and start praying. And uh, the rather seasoned and, and wise person offering a prayer said, well, I think God will do a deal with you, you know. If you get your first leg out of bed, I'm sure he'll help you with the second. And by the way, an alarm clock might help. And it's like that with encouragement. If you make a note of each of those seven points and you start to pray, Lord, I would like to become more outrageously generous. I would like to become totally committed. I would like to become kinder. I would like to become etc., etc., etc. I'm sure the Holy Spirit will come alongside to help. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the person of Barnabas and the attractive character that he is as we encounter him in the New Testament. And so we pray that little by little, you would be making us more and more like him because he's so like you. Thank you for the people who've spoken encouragement into our lives, who are precious to us and who make a difference. And please, Lord, help us to be to continue to be an encouraging community at St. Michael's. In Jesus' name, amen.